The Bible says that pride comes before the fall. An NFL player named Lamar Houston showed us that literally. Uh, Houston plays for the Chicago Bears in, in a game a couple seasons ago against the Patriots. His team had all but lost. They were down by a lot. There were just a couple minutes left. The game was pretty much over when Houston made a good play. So here's what happened. Garoppolo being rushed. Oh, down he goes for sack of the game. Lamar Houston. <laughs> but Lamar, let's not, let's not go overboard on the celebration. <laughs> well, I think he's hurt. He, he should have been watching Stephen Tullock. Stephen Tullock at the Detroit Lions torn ACL. You just hate to see it because it's an incredible play by Lamar Houston. And then watch the celebration. Now, mind you, you're down 25 points, not smile. Pride goes before the fall. Speaking of pride, USA Today asked some senior corporate executives what they attributed their financial and professional success to. These are people of high net worth. How did they interpret their success? What do they owe it to? Hey, here's the answers reported in the paper. 99% of these people said that it was their hard work. 97% said it was their good judgment. 83% high IQ. So you can see that these people are very impressed with themselves, yeah? And, and, and if you had asked King Nebuchadnezzar what he attributed his success to, I think he would have agreed. Nebuchadnezzar loved himself some Nebuchadnezzar. So, so will Nebuchadnezzar's pride cause him to fall? So far in the book of Daniel, we've met some people by name. We've met Daniel and his buddies, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and, and we've met the king, Nebuchadnezzar. In this fourth chapter, he is the narrator. The king is the narrator of all that happens in this chapter. So let's go to Daniel 4, verse 4, and hear what the king has to say. It says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar was very prosperous. I mean, he had a lot to be proud of. He had built uh, an empire, the, the biggest empire in the ancient Near East during his lifetime. It was an intellectual and cultural powerhouse. It was also an architectural wonder. I mean, remember in school you learned that uh, uh, seven wonders of the ancient world? One of those was the Hanging Gardens of Babylon, and that was all built under Nebuchadnezzar. He had an educated, multiracial administration, which we saw all the way back in Daniel 1. I mean, when, when Nebuchadnezzar stepped back and observed all that he had accomplished, all that he had done, I think he said to himself something like this. All you need to know is I'm way awesomer than you think, okay? <laughs> Did you catch that? One, one more time, Jamal. One more time. All you need to know is I'm way awesomer than you think, okay? <laughs> All you need to know is I'm way awesomer than you think, you know? And I think that's exactly what he thought about himself. He was pretty impressed with himself. Maybe we fall into the same trap. CEO tells a story about standing in the DMV with his wife. It was a long, frustrating line, and, and she heard him mumble under his breath, don't these people know who I am? And she looked at him and said, you're a plumber's son who got lucky. That's who you are. 
We need somebody like that in our lives to speak truth, hard truth, uncomfortable truth to us. For uh, that CEO, it was his wife. For King Nebuchadnezzar, that was Daniel. Who is it for you? Who is it that says hard and challenging and uncomfortable and somewhat frustrating things to you, but that are good for you to hear? Here's what Daniel had told Nebuchadnezzar back in chapter two. He said, your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. So Daniel says, yes, Nebuchadnezzar, you are great. You are powerful. Your dominion extends for, uh, uh, over a lot of countries, over a lot of people. There's no doubt about it. But recognize that all that was a gift from God. But King Nebuchadnezzar refused to acknowledge that the, the, the kingdom that he had built came from God, that it was God's gift. He thought it was his own hard work. He thought it was his own smarts and his own good judgment. Maybe it's what we sound like when, when, when we take credit for the good things in our life and blame others for the, for the things that go wrong. Maybe that's our version of thinking that we are more awesomer than, than anybody quite realizes. So Nebuchadnezzar had a very high view of himself. And in response to that, God sends him a dream. Verse five, I had a dream. So again, Nebuchadnezzar talking. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. I mean, this guy's got issues, doesn't he? I mean, Nebuchadnezzar keeps having these crazy dreams over and over and over again. Now, now just think about it a second. He is in charge. He is the king. He, he's the guy who's the boss. He's got wealth. He's got everything you'd want, but he doesn't have any peace. No inner peace. Instead, he's racked with anxiety. He's insecure. His life is in turmoil. So here's the dream that he has. Verse 10. These are the visions I saw while lying in bed. I looked and there before me stood a tree in the middle of the land. Its height was enormous. The tree grew large and strong and its top touched the sky. It was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful, its fruit abundant and on it was food for all. Under it, the wild animals found shelter and the birds lived in its branches. From it, every creature was fed. So later in the dream, a messenger from heaven comes down and chops down this tree. And then someone in the dream, you're not quite sure at first, turns into like an animal. They're given the mind of an animal. And, and that's the dream that Nebuchadnezzar has. And he tells uh, Daniel, he wants him to interpret it for him. So verse 19, then Daniel, also called Belshazzar, now Remember, Daniel is his Hebrew name. It honors the God, Yahweh. And Belshazzar is the Babylonian name that he had been given. So putting these two names side by side, I, I think what is happening here is God is drawing our attention to the fact that Daniel is trying to, to navigate two paths. He, he's trying to be faithful to God while living in exile, by, while living in Babylon. And of course, that's what we do every day. Christians, we are citizens of heaven, and yet we live our life here in exile apart from God, which is why the book of Daniel is so incredibly relevant to us. So then Daniel was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. 
And, and so the king sees Daniel's face and the terror on his face. So the king says to Belshazzar, do not let the dream or its meaning alarm you. Belshazzar answered, again, Daniel answered, my Lord, if only the dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. So, so Daniel's got bad news that he's got to give the king, but notice that he's not eager to deliver it. In other words, Daniel knows that this is not going to go well for Nebuchadnezzar, but he doesn't rejoice over it. In fact, he looks at Nebuchadnezzar and says, I wish that this news I've got to give you, I wish it didn't apply to you. You see how, how Daniel and his buddies have been speaking to King Nebuchadnezzar? How they talk to him with wisdom and tact. How, how they are, are poised and humble before him. How, how they are always taking into account his well-being. Here Daniel says, I want what's best for you, king. Now, now imagine how hard that would have been for Daniel to do. Because King Nebuchadnezzar is the one who invaded his homeland, destroyed the temple, and taken him and all his people captive. Daniel didn't end up in Babylon by choice. And once there, once he'd been drugged off by the armies to Babylon, he could have pouted over his circumstances. He could have doubted God. He could have become antagonistic toward the Babylonians. He, he, could have, he could have mocked them. He could have pointed out all the ways that they had uh, made decisions that went against God's values. But Daniel doesn't do that. Daniel could have been the culture warrior fighting against Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. But he refuses to play that game. Instead, Daniel serves King Nebuchadnezzar, this pagan king. He serves this pagan nation the best that he can. See, one way pride manifests itself in our life is how we react when someone that we don't agree with suffers harm. When it doesn't go well for someone that we don't like, someone who is on the other team. Maybe it's on the other political team and it's a national figure. Or, or maybe it's someone in your office who, who is your rival and who has spoken uh, poorly of you. And, and now they've been knocked down a peg. How do you respond to their downfall? See, pride gets excited that people we don't like suffer. Pride gets excited that people on the other team, people who've spoken poorly about us, when they're knocked down a little bit, pride gets excited because it gives us a chance to say, well, we're not like them. See, Daniel knew this dream was bad news for Nebuchadnezzar, but he is not happy about it. He, he's not rejoicing in, in, in God's plan to humble the king, but he does interpret the dream for him. And it's the classic good news, bad news. So he starts with the good news. Verse 22, your majesty, you are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky. And your dominion extends to the distant parts of the earth. So, so King Nebuchadnezzar, when you had that dream of that big tree, you are that tree. You've got a great kingdom. Now comes the bad news. This is the decree the Most High has issued against my Lord the King. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Your kingdom will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. 
Remember in the king's dream, somebody was given the mind of an animal? Well, it turns out that's King Nebuchadnezzar. See, the king has thought too highly of himself. So now God is going to humble him. Verse 27. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Renounce your sins by doing what is right and your wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be then that your prosperity will continue. So, so it's pretty bold, but Daniel offers advice to a king who hadn't asked him for advice. And what makes it even bolder is that his advice is confess and renounce your sins. Confess and renounce your, your private sins, your personal sins like pride, but also confess and renounce your public sin like being uh, cruel and oppressing people. What he says to the king is get right with God and let that heart, let that new person rule in this kingdom. So, so let your leadership follow your repentance. See, Daniel is concerned because God is concerned about personal sin and corporate sin, about private sin and public sin. And notice that if, 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 if Nebuchadnezzar is to humble himself, that it will mean that he is kind to the oppressed. It will make a difference in how he rules. One, one sign of humility is that you are kind. You take an interest in people who don't have as much, who are maybe oppressed by a government or, or who have a health issue or a financial issue. Your heart goes out to them because you see yourself as being one of them. And the only reason you're not because of God's grace and goodness in your life. So Daniel here is trying to walk this fine line. He refuses to compromise his core convictions. But at the same time, he's willing to engage this pagan king. He's willing to help this pagan nation who stands against everything that he values. So, so, so Daniel and his friends, they've made choices that have put them in this position, right? I mean, because he had said, yes, his name being changed away from the Hebrew name to a Babylonian name. Because they had said yes to being in the Babylonian Leadership Academy. And in fact, not just being in the academy, but being the top student. Because he had said yes to accepting a government position in this pagan nation, Daniel has influence. He, he's the person the king turns to when he has a problem. Now, I, I think too many Christians ha have, have taken a different course. I think too many Christians have separated from our culture. So, so that we are not the best employee. So we are not the best student. So we are not the best citizen. And that's why we don't have influence. That's why when, when, when the CEO or, or the mayor or, or, or the teacher, the principal, the school administrators, when they have a problem, do they turn to us? Or have we proven ourselves to be the people who have the answers, the people who are good at what we do? And Daniel didn't separate. But neither did he accommodate himself to the Babylonian morality. Remember they had in chapter one refused to eat the food from the king's table. In chapter three, they refused to bow down to the golden image. Therefore, they had kept their identity as children of God, as, as, as followers of Yahweh. They weren't separating, but they weren't accommodating. They were doing what Jesus would later call being in the world, but not of it. 
verse 29. Twelve months later, so, so a whole year passes after Daniel and the king have this conversation. A whole year passes. The king is walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, and he says, Is not this the great Babylon that I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? I told you, Nebuchadnezzar loves him some Nebuchadnezzar, doesn't he? Isn't this a, the, a great GPA I've earned? Isn't this a great resume I've put together? Isn't this a great friend group I get to hang out with? Isn't this a great business that I've developed? Isn't this a great family I have? Isn't this a great body that I've trained? Isn't this a great Bible study that I lead? Maybe we love ourselves too much. Maybe we think too highly of ourselves. Proverbs 26 warns us, do you see a person wise in their own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for them. See, a fool, a fool can be smart, a fool can be successful, a fool can be wealthy, they can be fun to, to, to be around, well-respected in the community, but no matter what the fool has going for them, taking credit for God's goodness and grace in your life, taking credit for that which God has given you makes you a fool. Instead, we should have the attitude that Paul has in 1 Corinthians 4. He asks three questions. For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? And finally, if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Who makes you different from anyone else? Well, only God. What, what, may, what do you have that you did not receive? Nothing. And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Because I'm a fool. See, see it, it's kind of like when things are going well in your life and you've got a good life, what happens is, is you go, well, you know, I kind of did this. I am smart and I am hardworking and, you know, I am kind of the best in every situation. I, I kind of deserve it. And, and, and when things go bad and you have a bad life and it's not going the way you want, what you do is you end up in pride still because you go, well, I deserve better than this. It, it's kind of like ice cream. A after a good day, after a good day, you go, man, I deserve some ice cream. And after a lousy day, you go, wow, I deserve some ice cream. <laughs> but either way, we're getting to the ice cream, right? Well, well pride's the same way. I, I've had a good life, I deserved it. I have a bad life, I deserve better. But either way, we get to deserving, we, we find ourselves getting to pride. Now, now, remember, a year had gone past. God had been patient with Nebuchadnezzar. God is patient with us. God, God had given Nebuchadnezzar time to repent He'd warned him, he'd given time to repent. God is patient with us. He is giving us time to turn from our sin. You think that God's patience might mean that he doesn't think your sin's a big deal. That's not what it's meant to, to communicate. His patience is, is love for you, giving you time to turn from your sin. God is being patient with you and me right now. Is there a sin on your heart that you know God is being patient with you? See, eventually time was up. And when time was up for Nebuchadnezzar, God acted in a decisive way. Verse 31. Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. 
See, Nebuchadnezzar had exalted himself and now God will humble him. Nebuchadnezzar had exalted himself and said, I'm more than a human being. And, and now God is going to make him less than a human being. He's going to make him like an animal and he's going to leave him that way for a season until Nebuchadnezzar learns that there is one king and it's not him. Verse 34. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. Notice that humility led to sanity. Understanding who you are in relation to God and who you are in relation to other people allows you to see the world as it really is. Jesus is king, not you. You do not belong to yourself, you belong to him. And every good thing that you have in your life, every blessing that you have, it comes from God. Pride leads us to a distorted view of, of ourselves, a distorted view of the world. To live in God's world, to live in God's world by God's will, dependent on God's gifts, experiencing God's grace, and then to act like we are in charge and we belong to ourselves, that we're independent, that is the ultimate delusion. That is insanity. So, so the cosmic lesson is this. Pride, exalting yourself, leaves you like an animal less able to empathize with people who don't have what you have, haven't accomplished what you've accomplished. Because you look at them and go, well, you know, if they just were as smart as me, as great as me, as hardworking as me, they'd have it too. Less able to, 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 to show comfort because you're a more shallow person, quicker to justify yourself. No joy in your life. But instead, like King Nebuchadnezzar, experiencing the insecurity and the anxiousness that comes with thinking that you are in charge of you, that you are the one who is in control of your life. Verse 37. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Turns out that Nebuchadnezzar is a pretty good narrator of this chapter because he closes with his, his main point. He drives it home. Pride comes before the fall. Nebuchadnezzar wrote this after his, his sanity had been restored, after he had humbled himself before God. And he wrote it as a warning to you and me. Will we heed his warning? Will we heed his warning? Or will we continue down the foolish path we're on? Will we heed his warning? Will, will we take advantage of God's patience with us? Or will we use that patience as an excuse to keep doubling down on ourselves? Tilly Smith. Tilly Smith was 10 years old when her family visited uh, Thailand. They, they had gone there on vacation. They were out on the beach playing when Tilly noticed something that wasn't quite right. You see, two weeks earlier at school, she was a British schoolgirl, two, two weeks earlier they had learned about tsunamis. And, and as she just looked at what was happening on the beach, there was about 100 or so people out there, and she thought, this reminds me of what I learned. So she started yelling at her parents, there's going to be a tsunami. There's going to be a tsunami. She's, trying, she's yelling at everybody. And, and people are kind of looking at her, you know. 
What would you do if your 10-year-old was out on the beach yelling there's gonna be a tsunami? I mean, you'd be like, shush it, girl. I mean, what, what, what are you doing? I mean, her younger sister got so upset by Tilly yelling that she started to cry and she started to scream. And so they're shushing Tilly and taking the sister back to the hotel room. That's where dad had, had taken her. And, and, and Tilly won't shut up. So she runs back up to the hotel where dad's walking and, and she's yelling again and again. And so the dad goes up to a security guard and he's just like, look, I, I don't know. My 10-year-old says she learned in school that it looks like there's gonna be a tsunami. Now, the security guard, he, he did not listen to a PhD. He did not listen to a, a, even a king. He did not listen to a climatologist. But you know what he did? He listened to Tilly. He sounded an alarm. They alerted the people on the beach. They came rushing in off the beach. They went up into the hotel. And when the tsunami hit, 230,000 people died, but not one person on Tilly's beach. Not one person on Tilly's beach died because they had heeded the warning. They'd listened. And dad asked, what, what would happen if we hadn't listened to Tilly? What would happen if you don't listen to King Nebuchadnezzar? What will happen if you don't listen to the king? What will happen if you won't listen to God's warning that pride comes before the fall? What will happen if you don't listen to God's warning that those who are wise in their own eyes are fools. God is being patient with us. He's giving us time to repent. He's giving us time to recognize that all that we have is from him and his grace. That we are not our own, but we belong to him. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your patience with us. I pray that all of us who have hearts that heed your warning, ears to hear, eyes to see, that we would humble ourselves, that we would bow our stiff necks to the King, that we would listen and obey you. Jesus, you've been gracious to us. Forgive us for taking credit for your gifts. May we be kind to the oppressed. May we be generous with all that you've given us, our time, our talent, and our treasure. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Please stand to receive God's blessing. May the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you believe the gospel of his son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us today. Have a great Sunday.